0: previously on The Tony Cornizer Show. all right, I want your dog, Quinny, to be well. I just want to mention one thing. McConnell's coffee ice cream, top-notch.
1: <laughs> top-notch, McConnell's. Made in
0: Santa Barbara,
1: top-notch. Well, well, I appreciate that. And all I know is that since you and I started talking... Uh, Quinny is totally settled down. Tony, I I very much appreciate
0: it. I have a dog, you know, and and I understand a dog's impulse to jump into a specific lake 75,000 miles away.
2: The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All
0: right, we got to begin today with geography. First of all, Michael is back from his trip
2: um, and is sitting with me now. Safely navigated the Garden State Parkway. Where I missed the Connie Chung. yes. Yep, by one. And you stopped at the Gandolfini. You you settled... Oh, I thought you settled for Clara Barton. So, I went to Clara Barton for snacks, which was another mistake. But, no, we did the Gandolfini for gas so that I could get that uh, New Jersey hospitality and get that full service. Okay, but you missed Connie Chung. We missed Connie Chung, and they have a Chick-fil-A there. Okay, and you like Chick-fil-A. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, uh, except... Well, let me ask you a question. But a rest area at Chick-fil-A is not going to be the same experience as a standalone restaurant. So I'm going to divert from the original text here. Chick-fil-A is famously not
0: open on Sundays. Correct. But if you are in a rest stop, don't you have to be
2: open every day? No, I, I don't think you have to. You just have to have really? that signage. But it does become complicated if it is one of those standalones and it's, say, you got 40 miles to yes. the next area. So they have, they have very clear, I mean, the... New Jersey, uh, the the Turnpike, they do they do a great job of of trying to tell you exactly what's coming up. So you, but are you are you certain that they're closed on Sundays? Yes, every Chick Fil A is closed on Sundays. Now, if someone's going to email me saying that I'm wrong,
0: okay. But. Well, I, I'm just saying that if I was in charge of the New Jersey State Driving Authority, I would not let a Chick Fil A into. A rest area, if it was not going to be open every day of the week, that's just me. I wouldn't do
2: it. Yeah, I think you'd have to depend on what you'd consider to be your anchor store in that rest area in that mall stop. But you, do you,
0: are you? A, is there another place to eat? Oh there, I'm sure there has to be. I'm oh, sure there's a okay. coffee shop. So, yeah. all right, I just want to know that. All right, let me um, without reading. At great length, a lovely, lovely email from our great friend, Brendan Steinberg. And let me say for every single person on the show, we are so happy, you know, for you and your family right now. We are incredibly happy for you. And thank you, as always, for listening. So there's a bunch of things I wanted to get to. I mean, I know that everybody thinks I'm going to get to the Nats, and I am going to get to the Nats. I'm going to get to the Nats. I'm going to get to, to, get to a column by Sally Jenkins. On the which cusp of the wild card, the Nats? Well, well a bad loss last night for the wild card prospects uh, yesterday afternoon But a really good gonna run out of games. Yeah, you know, I Had the most enjoyable experience Last week I played golf with my former boss The sports editor of the washington post george solomon to whom i'm to whom i'm indebted For an entire career, you know, I I really am. I love george solomon We played at Woodmont. George tends to only want to play nine holes. And at the end of nine, he said, uh, are we done? And I go, no, we're not. We're going 18. (laughs) That's the full classic distance, 18. So George had to go another nine, and I was grateful for that. George and I were playing with a couple of people who we had never met before. One guy was a member, a guy named Mike, and another guy was named Hank and was not a member, and was Mike's guest and Mike's friend. And this is, to me, a a one-in-a-million story. Now, I told this to Michael, and he didn't think it was one-in-a-million. Maybe one in a thousand. Okay, but
2: it's more than one-in-one. Sure, as you triangulate private clubs and golf. Yeah. So, five or six months ago, I got a box of golf
0: balls handed to me, new Pro-Vs. Each one of them says La Cheeserie on it, each one of them has a dog bone superimposed on it, and each one of them says TK75, obviously, for my 75th birthday. There was a box of Pro-Vs,
2: so that's, what, 16? I would say normally a, a dozen, unless you're going with the top, the top flight 15, but no, you got a, a dozen. A dozen golf balls, but
0: four different boxes. Four different, oh, wow. Yeah, you no, know, it was not just one box. Maybe it was three different boxes. And I never know, knew who sent them to me. I never talked about it on the air because I never knew who sent them to me. There was no note attached here. No note in the box. That's a year's supply of golf balls. That's right. I still have a couple of, I still have one box. Even with your ability. With my ability, which is terrible. I, lose, I play with golf balls until I lose them. I either lose them in the water or I lose them in the rough. Okay? And I play till I lose them. And I was enormously grateful to have this box of golf balls which is in my locker at Columbia. But as I say, I never had a note that said where I got them. While I was getting ready to tee off on number one at Woodmont the other day, this fella Hank introduces himself to me. He's Hank Miller. He's the one who bought me and sent me the golf balls. What? (laughs) What? And I said there was never a note, and he said I wrote a note to Nigel. There was an email to Nigel. Is this true, Nigel? Is this true? You are not here with us. You're in New York, so yes. you don't have to worry that I'm going to reach over and throttle you. <laughs> but is this true from Hank Miller? I, I never. Will,
2: I, I will look through the email records. I don't recall getting one from him. But we'll I don't. Go I don't, to I don't leave out. Nigel out on the limb here. I'm ch- I went back into the email machine. There is an email from Hank Miller, and there's a follow-up from last week. This is a can you read the email? Uh, it's just a reminder saying the you know, here's the birthday gift. It's for me I had no idea. I
0: could not have thanked him more profusely or with you know with any more Sort of you know apology Not having mentioned it on the air. You think that's one in here's, a thousand so not the one in a million?
2: Tony I had a wonderful time in the links with you and George day So glad you were still using the golf balls I sent. have to make sure the little snow. you played great no issues getting out of the bunkers and some long drives Wow, you get out of the bunkers. Uh, there are no lips on the bunkers at Woodmont South. They're t- those I can are pretty get out. deep bunkers. I can appreciate get out. the years of entertainment. So, you only think that's one in a thousand. I just, I think when you start to zoom in on private golf clubs in the greater DMV area, golf clubs that you will actually visit. It becomes a little bit, uh, a bit of a small world for the 1%. I was just
0: so taken with the fact that I ran into the guy who sent me the golf balls, and I apologized so much for not having thanked him. Now, was him. your
2: name on the T-sheet? Was this a pure coincidence, or I think we, pure we, could was, we have seen this I don't know. You know, the
0: day before? I don't know that I was on the T-sheet. Maybe with George, but George is the member, so he would have said George Solomon and guest. It wouldn't have necessarily said me. I mean, I didn't see David Dorn out there, so I didn't know... If, if he had put my name on. But I had a wonderful time. So I wanted to talk about that. The Nats had two great wins over the weekend against Miami, a team they never beat. And when I say never, I mean never, never. They never beat Miami. If they could beat Miami and, and Atlanta. Atlanta here and there, then I would feel a whole lot better about them. Uh, Dominic Smith had The
2: series an... they win out of division are, are, are impressive on paper, even if not yes. with record. Dominic Smith had two RBI in three games total won a completely meaningless
0: home run in the ninth inning of a 9-1 game. But that was the other day. Yeah. That was the other day. But he had one yesterday. He, there were two guys on. He hit a ground ball, and somebody scored. So he got in. The Nats won two of the three against Miami, and the Nats had a chance yesterday. Here's what the Nats do. I'm not going to dwell on this for any great length of time. The Nats get six innings every single game out of their starter. And if they can get it to Finnegan, they got a chance to win. If they can get it to Finnegan. If Mason Thompson doesn't go out there and give up five straight hits and four runs, as he did the other day. But they win these games without a single person you fear at the plate. They have no home run hitters. They have no big power hitter at all. None. Zero. And they're winning these games with timely hitting and good fortune. They got good Yeah, a little fortune. bit of belief. They, yeah, they feel the like they can day, come back. They, you know, Jake Alou, I mean, here's, here's, here's Lane Thomas, opens up there, down one run, opens up an inning with a triple, sitting on third base. Who comes up? Dominic Smith, hits a ground ball A the second they throw out Lane Thomas at the plate. But then a couple of outs, one out later, Jake Alou gets a hit. You don't expect it. They tie the game, and then there's a passed ball, and they go ahead on that, and Finnegan saves the game. So they've played very well, very well lately. I thought they were a 50-win team at the most. How many games have they won already? Uh, one 61. One? Yeah, so they've Eight done much back. better. Wild card. And I wanted to mention this one thing. Many of you may be familiar with what happened when Spain won the Women's World Cup. In the celebration afterwards, the head of the Spanish Women's World Cup team, maybe? Spanish Soccer Federation. Yeah kissed one of the players on the lips. This led to an enormous controversy that is ongoing even now. The woman involved said she did not give permission. She didn't want it to happen. A lot of other people have weighed in and say the guy should be fired. He doesn't want to be fired. He's been suspended apparently by FIBA for some period of time, but he hasn't been removed. And it's a controversy. And Sally weighs in. And I told you a lot before that sally's great columns her greatest columns they basically start out like this what do i know i'm just a dumb girl okay that is the format and this is although sally didn't do it that way specifically this time here are the first few paragraphs of sally's column it is i me Loco Arrogancia, president of the Soccer Federation in my country and protector of men's parts from the false feminists. I write in protest to ask, what chica would not want to be kissed by me with my face as handsome as a piece of prime rib, not to mention the heroic line of my pants? These false feminists see punishment in the guise of my congratulations. They seek to question a man simply for seizing himself in a moment of victorious euphoria and then seizing a woman too. Is this not what a machista naturally does when he savors a victory in which he had no role, grab it and grab it now? It's just a brilliant Sally column. Absolutely brilliant, for which, you know, she's going to win the Pulitzer anyway. But she should win more Pulitzers just for this. Another paragraph. Yes, my hands found my pants in the presence of the queen and her daughter, while I stared at my friend, the head coach on the field, as if to say, even here, in the midst of all these screaming screaming women, we know we are the real kings. She says, I refuse to accept any wrongdoing in a momentary kiss on the mouth. So spontaneous and euphoric that it almost pulled out all of her cleats. It was entirely mutual. After all, she was completely silent until she said no. And then in a (laughs) post-match video, you can hear her saying something to the effect of, that was disgusting. So this is Sally at Sally's best. And maybe we should talk to Sally about this. The reason I bring this up is because of how lives change. How mores change how standards change one of the most famous photographs and I nobody knows I'm going here today so maybe you'll remember this maybe one of the most famous photographs in the history of American photojournalism is something that happened on either VJ day or VE day in the middle of Times Square in New York it is a photograph of a sailor I believe it's a sailor kissing a woman as the war is declared over. Do you know that photograph Nigel? I Sean, do. It's, do you know that yeah, photograph? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, everyone I think she's knows, a nurse. Is that it's a nurse? I okay. Think so everyone knows this photograph and at the time Nobody said what are you doing? Nobody said did you ask permission and, and I, I'm not saying they shouldn't have I'm saying that this is 80 years ago in a euphoric moment Four people in the United States. We mean, the war is over. The war is over. And this was the way these two people they, uh, captured forever, right? In film, captured forever, right? Do you, uh, have you called up the photograph? I have, yes. It's one of the most famous photographs of all time. You can't do that now, right? You can't do it now. Maybe you couldn't and maybe you shouldn't have done it then. But you did it then, and it became something that people rallied around that's things change right can't do it Can't do it wouldn't do I don't think wouldn't do it wouldn't do it nobody would do it now And so sally's takedown of this guy who's the head of the spanish federation is brilliantly done It caused me to remember because this guy's a clown It caused me to remember that (laughs) photograph and to you know use that as an example of how You know how things change
2: am I wrong on this? No, no, you're not wrong about this. Am I in trouble on this? No, you're not. You're because I'm saying you can't do it, shouldn't do it. But at,
0: in that moment, it became, it became something of, right? Everybody knows the photograph, right? You, you knew the one I was talking about before you looked it up, Sean. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, everybody knows it immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody no, knows that's... that one. It's in Times Square,
2: is it not? Yes, uh, time yes. to square, Alfred Eisenstadt took the photo. It's, oh, he's um, a very famous photographer. Yeah, so, and that just sort of captured that moment. It was VJ Day. You, you were absolutely yep. right. And it was just one of pure exaltation, you know? And that, that Doesn't make w- it right. Right, doesn't make it right. You're right. Doesn't Couldn't make do it, it right. Was not it condemned
0: at the time, to my knowledge.
2: No, I don't believe to it To my knowledge. No. no. But don't do it. Don't
1: yeah, do it now.
0: Don't. Don't do it now. All right, we'll take a break. Um... Is Steve Sands going to join us first, or is Mark Feinstein going to join us first? Steve Sands will join us next. Steve Sands, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser.
1: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.
0: This is sent to us by Eric Shaw in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Two songs today by Mr. Shaw. We've used his stuff before. This one is called Famous on the Weekend. It's about a musician with a day job. Not famous during the week. Famous on the Weekend. Plays in Steve Sands. So I don't want to use the word boring to describe the tour championship yesterday. I, I, I don't. I'm going to reject the word boring. But it was not particularly dramatic. The most dramatic moment in it was on 14 when Victor Hovland made a long par save when Xander Schauffele was threatening him to get within, say, two shots. He knew, Hovland knew that was a winner. And after that, birdied the rest of the holes and just extended the lead and and played great. So I don't want to use the word boring, but it had, you know, it had an anticlimactic quality to it. Is that fair to say, Steve?
1: Yes, 100%. I, I didn't think it was boring because I thought the golf was good, um, and it was fun to watch. And it was, you now Victor Howard was a very well-known name, and he's trying to hold off a guy who was also a very well-known name in Xander Shoffley. So I thought that that part was good. I'm with you, though, Tony. We've talked about this on and off uh, your show. It, the format is just tough. Look, Xander Shoffley and Victor Hovland had the same score. Yes, great team. Seventy-two, 72 holes. holes. Yes, they had the same score, Tony, over seventy-two holes. How much fun would it have been for eighteen million dollars on the line and everything that is that comes with being a FedEx Cup champion? if yeah, they were tied on that back nine and that back nine was back and forth between those two guys trying to win it all, I just think the format, the staggered start uh, prevents stuff like that from happening more often than not. And I just I just wish they'd change it. I don't like it.
0: Ken, you and I are agreed on that. I would like to have seen them have a playoff at the very, very least. Shoffley seems to always play great in this tournament, never wins it comes in second or third or something like that. Can I go back to the $18 million? Where did this money come from, Phil Mickelson? Where did this money come from?
1: <laughs> FedEx, baby. When they started this thing in 2007, it's amazing. It's the 17th year of the playoffs. When they started it 17 years ago with that huge bonus, it was you know $10 million. And now it's $18 million for the win. Wow. $18 million. That's, that's a
0: lot of change. That's really so much money. That's so much money. The three best players in the world, the acknowledged three best players in the world John Rom, Scotty Scheffler, and Rory McElroy, two of them had bad days yesterday. Scheffler didn't have a good tournament at all. Rom, I think Rom doubled or tripled a hole at one point that I was watching. And, and although McElroy, had a good score. He never threatened in this thing. He never, ever once threatened in this thing. What is the state of the three best players in the world, in your opinion, Steve?
1: You know, I, I, I like what you said earlier about Xander Shoffley and playing well on the golf course. That's one of the reasons I don't like the thing either, because there's a saying horses for courses in golf. And if you like the golf course, I think it's a massive advantage for some guys to play the same golf course each and every time. Now, they do it at the players. They do it at the Masters. But to yeah. me, move around the FedEx Cup title would be great. So Scheffler, maybe he's one of those guys who just doesn't love that golf course because he, he had a chance last year and kind of failed miserably with a big lead. And then he didn't play well this year uh, as well. So I, I don't put much stock into that. With with Scheffler because he's such a great player, I just think his putter is cold. Right, if you can't putt, then you're not going to be able to score. So that's the first thing with Scheffler. The second thing with Rom, you know, I think Rom's fine. He got his four wins in the first three months, four months of the season of, of the year, the calendar year in 2023, hasn't won in a while. But I wouldn't really be too bothered by by John Rom and, and his his game is is sharp and McIlroy, what, what do you want to do about McElroy? Uh, Tony? Yeah. I don't know what to say about Rory. I I, I, I think it's the putter. Uh, I also think that he needs to tighten up his wedge game. His wedge game, and he's got a wedge in his hand all the time. And he doesn't take advantage of it as often as he should, considering how great a player he is. When you have a wedge in your hand and you're playing at that level, you're you're thinking scoring, immediate scoring. And... He is a great player, and he's won a bunch of times. But his wedge game right now and his putting are just not sharp enough. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out at the Ryder Cup because Europe is going to need Tony, Rory, and John Rahm. They're going to need them big time to compete with the United States.
0: I watch Rory McIlroy, and I like him very much, like what he says almost all the time, like the way he behaves. He looks at putts like I look at putts, they're not at the hole. He doesn't hit the hole. And then he looks at him and he puts his left hand out like, what happened here? And this happens so often. He's in position, well, you know this better than I, he's in position to win every tournament he's in. He's better than the other people at getting to a spot, you know, where he should be able to get birdie almost all the
2: time,
1: right? Almost all the time. That's the, the The point with the wedge situation is he drives the ball so well and so long that he has shorter clubs in his hands than most guys he's playing with and most guys he's playing against. And when you have wedge in your hand as often as he does, man, you should score better. And the proximity of the hole with his wedges is not you know, as as great as it should be. And right now his putter is not cooperating. Now, he did win you know, recently on the PGA Tour, just before the Open Championship. So it's not as if Rory's not, you know, putting himself up there and out there and giving himself chances to win. But it just seemed like he should win more often, considering the way he plays the game. Yeah. It's, just, it's a weird deal.
0: Let me get to Victor Hovland, because I don't want people to think that I didn't pay attention. Right. Victor Hovland is 25 years old. The last two weeks, Victor Hovland has had as great a two-week period as anybody's had in yeah. memorable, memorable circumstances with a lot of pressure. He, he shot a course record 61 to close last week. He shot 63 yesterday. He appears to be in complete command of the golf courses that he's playing. How good right now is Victor Hovland?
1: By the way, that 61 at Olympia Fields, Uh, included a 28 on the back nine to win. To me, the greatest back nine, the greatest nine holes of golf uh, that maybe has ever been played. Uh, It was just remarkable. He's been on a great, great Eight
0: threes and a four. Eight threes
1: and a four. (laughs) Is that good? Wow. Eight threes and a four. It's it's just remarkable. Uh, Under those circumstances, you know, back nine on Sunday trying to win, too. I mean, you have to add in the circumstances as well Just for a little bit more context. It's amazing. He has played some fabulous golf, and and I've said this to you before, Tony. There's a there's a you can be hot in golf, or you can be great at golf. Almost every player on the PGA Tour gets his hot streak at some point. You know, there's a, a stretch of golf, whether it's a couple of weeks, whether it's a year, whatever it is. Everybody kind of catches some heat because they're just that great. It's whether you can sustain it to see whether you're not just a hot player, but you're a great player. And Victor Hovland is not just on a heater here the last two weeks. He's a great, great player. He's going to be around a long, long time. He has played the last two weeks. The the putting has been outrageous. His driving uh, has been incredible. He's always been an incredible ball striker. And you remember when Dustin Johnson was first becoming great, great, great Dustin Johnson, that his his short irons his wedges were not great enough you know compared to the rest of his game he really worked on it and it became you know the number one player in the world and a two-time major champion Victor Hovland had the same thing Tony around the greens he was not wedge you know with his you know his chipping and pitching just wasn't really right. up to snuff he's worked so hard on it in the last 18 24 months that that part of his game isn't even a deficiency anymore And his putting and his iron play and his driving ability, his ball striking, never waned whatsoever. And that's why you're seeing Victor Hovland play the way Victor Hovland is capable right now. He is just a fabulous player.
0: So the the golf season is over. There's one event left. It's the Ryder Cup. Victor Hovland and John Rahm and Rory McIlroy are going to be playing for the European squad, among others. And there is... The potential for a great controversy in the United States team. Um, there are six captains' picks. The captain is Zach Johnson. Yep. I don't know if Zach Johnson gets this choice. If this, if these choices are fully Zach Johnson's, or if somebody's going to be whispering in his ear. So I will ask: Are they fully his choices? And the big, the big one is Brooks Koepka. Right? Is it going to be Brooks Koepka?
1: Well, they there are a lot of people whispering in his ear <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but the picks are for Zach and Zach does what he wants with them. But, yes, he has assistant captains talking to him. He has the PGA of America talking to him. And, most notably, he has the six guys who made the team, for sure, talking to him. And also a big, big, big one in Tiger Woods talking to him. Tiger is not an assistant captain. He will not be in Rome. But Tiger is always involved. And Tiger definitely has given Zach his opinions as well, so that's the first thing. Uh, but but Zach is his own man. He's a pro's pro, and, and Zach will make his picks um, based upon the information he receives from all those people, and then he'll you know go with his gut and what he thinks is best for the team and in the unit. Um, as far as Brooks Kepka, it's going to be fascinating, Tony. Brooks Kepka is the PGA champion. He won a major championship this year. He's a world-class player, and clearly he belongs on the team. He's one spot out or two spots out of the automatic qualifying, so he didn't get into the top six. Captain, Zach Johnson, has six captain's picks. Kepka should be on that team. Whether or not he will be will be something that I think is the most interesting thing to watch as far as all the captain's picks for Zach. Because he won the PGA Championship, Tony.
0: He's yeah.
1: Brooks Kepka. I yeah. mean, you, you can't not have him on that team, right? The only reason he wouldn't be on that team is because he's on lift. Yes. So that's what you're saying if you're Zach Johnson. Then it'll be interesting to see uh, what he says tomorrow when he unveils the team.
0: So you would put, if you were the captain, you would put Brooks Kepka on. Because also Brooks Kepka has a history of playing with all these guys and is likable for most of these guys, right? They've played with him. Nobody hates him. This is not Patrick Reed.
1: And he's a baller, Tony. I mean, the guy's won five major championships. He steps up in big spots. He's been in these situations before. Like you said, he's popular amongst the guys. Uh, but here's the thing, Tony. The PGA of America runs the Ryder Cup, not the PGA Tour. Right. The PGA of America runs the PGA Championship, not the PGA Tour. So if Brooks Kepka is eligible to play In the PGA of America's signature event, which is the PGA Championship, and he wins it. didn't just play, he won the darn thing. Coming off of being the 54-hole leader at the Masters, by the way. If the PGA of America event in September, the Ryder Cup, means that live guys are eligible, why would he not be able to play in the Ryder Cup if he played in the PGA Championship? Now... He qualified for the PGA Championship. He did not qualify for the Ryder Cup. That's the caveat. So it'll be up to Zach Johnson to say, you know what? Forget the live players. They screwed us. We're out of here. I'm not doing it. Or he's going to say, no, nope, I'm taking the 12 best players. And Brooks Koepka is clearly one of the 12 best.
0: All right, to get you out of here on this, what do you think Zach Johnson's going to do?
1: I think he's going to leave them off. Um, but I have, there's no, I have no intel, Tony. If All I right. do, I would, I would tell you. I I feel like Brooks in the top six automatically qualifying wouldn't have been a big deal. Hey, he qualified. Who cares? But in the last two weeks, he slipped out of the top six because he's not playing on Doesn't PGA play. Tour events, and other guys mm-hmm. slid in. So I think it gives him the ability to say, nah, not this time. That's gonna be one of my punishments and I think he's gonna leave him off. But I truly have no idea. I would put him on the team. But I I just I I don't know if Zach's going to do that. It'll Thank be you, really Steve. interesting to see. Can I can I do two yeah. things before we sure. have time? Sure, sure. Right, one thing, ready? Yes. It's Ed Sands' birthday today, eighty four years old.
0: Happy birthday hey, to Ed. Uh, He's the head. He
1: invented La le- 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 Cheeserie. Yes, That's happy it. birthday. And we are on your show. So happy birthday to Ed Sands. And did you guys talk or are you going to talk about the Little League World Series in the show?
0: Uh, I had not planned to talk about okay. it. I didn't watch <laughs> okay. it. It kept us off the air for three weeks.
2: <laughs> exactly. Walk off home run? Yeah. What
0: exactly. happened?
1: Okay, ready? Yeah. This is just a, a quick one for you. I'm never, I've never watched a Little League World Series in my life. About three weeks ago, me, about Five, six buddies get a text from Danny Boley. Danny Boley's a friend of ours. And he says, we're going to the Little League World Series. His son Quinn plays for this team in El Segundo. And he's going to the Little League World Series. They made it through whatever the qualifying to get there. And we're all happy for him. Great. They lose an early game. They go all the way to the championship game, win the U.S. championship. And then yesterday, they win the... The Little League World Series oh, wow. over Curacao on a walk-off home run. The reason I mentioned Danny Boley is because Danny Boley became a dear friend of all of ours. Whenever we fly in and out of Los Angeles, we take a red eye to come back and we would go to Danny Boley's restaurant, Fonza's, in Manhattan Beach. And he became a really good friend. Fonza's is no longer, Danny's still a good friend. And Danny is the manager of the team, Tony.
0: Wow. the coach
1: of his kids' Little League team. They wow. make it to the Little League World Series, and then they win the darn thing. So congratulations That's great. to our man, Danny Foley. That's and wonderful. Happy birthday to Ed Sands Lechizuri.
0: Oh, good job. Steve Sands, boys and girls. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Isn't that nice? That's nice. We'll take a break. Mark Feinsand will join us. I understand there's resolution with United Airlines. We'll see. I'm Tony Kornheiser. <laughs>
2: You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser
0: Show. Once again, this is Eric Shaw of Virginia Beach, Virginia. This is his newest single. It's called Cigars and Whiskey. it would be released for purchase and or streaming on September 8th. That's in a week or so. said he had great plans to record a TK Jingles version called Red Wine and Ice Cream to send in along with the original, but couldn't come up with anything I felt was clever enough for the show. I'm sure Dan Byrne could knock it out in about 15 seconds, but that's why he's Dan Byrne, and I'm just some rum-dum. Lovely
2: line. Michael, if
0: somebody like Eric Shaw wants to send in their wonderful original music, how do they do
2: so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykornheisershow.com.
0: And Eric plays in Mark Feinsand. And there are baseball things we can talk about. There are a few and we will talk about it. We will certainly talk about Shohei Otani and my own personal feeling that his career is over. That's just me personally. We'll get to that. But I understand there is some sort of movement and or resolution with United and Portugal and you.
3: There is. And it has somehow restored my faith in humanity uh, after a relatively uh, long fight with them or, or... back and forth and emails uh they finally agreed to pay pretty much everything that we needed paid um and the one thing that they said they weren't on the hook for they gave me some travel vouchers that doubled the cost of what it was uh what what was out of my pocket so um you know it it proves that not just letting go of it is uh is the answer and uh i went just kept emailing them and kept CCing their executives. And Linda Jojo is probably really happy not to see me on her email anymore. (laughs) Uh, But they, they dispatched one of their fixers and one of their fixers fixed it. And uh, I am, I'm happy to report that all is settled and uh, settled amicably and happily.
0: What were the odds going into this that you would have given that you would have used the word amicably?
3: Oh, I mean, less than 5% for sure. Right. Um, you know, the biggest fight that I thought I was going to have was the uh, the two airline tickets that my wife and I were forced to buy to come home because they wouldn't get us home in time for me to get to the All-Star game uh, for work. And I thought they were just going to tell me, you know, pound sand, that, you know, we right. were going to put you on a flight on this day. You didn't want you. You were you were impatient. You needed to get home earlier and, uh, you know, that's on you and you took a different airline. But uh, they, they worked with Tap Air Portugal, which is a United partner, which is what irritated me so much from the beginning. And they, they agreed to take my miles and reimburse my uh my 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 thirty seven hundred dollars for two tickets. And that was the part that I thought was going to be the biggest fight. And uh it all worked out great and I give full credit to D from United. She's my new best friend.
0: So this is an interesting thing. You have access to things that the average person may or may not have access to. But most people can, if they plot out a strategy, they can say, this is what I'm going to do. This is, I'm going to find out who runs this. I'm going to flood his or her mailbox with stuff. And I'm going to stay at this as long as I can stay at this. I don't think that, I mean, I don't think that your relative position played a great role in this right i mean it's not like you're not i don't know who would we use as an example uh, you know somebody that's on television all the time on it you know you're not lester holt right you're not
3: lester holt <laughs> i am definitely not lester holt so uh, no you know i think anybody with a google machine could have found out what i found out and i basically yes. just looked up all the executive names and Figured out what the United email, you know, sort of their their email pattern is in terms of first dot last name or whatever it may be, and I just kept emailing them until somebody finally got back to me. And because and, when you just email the regular customer care, like any other giant company, they don't—they're not seeing this. It's Nobody one of those sees it, you know. And if somebody does see it, it's not somebody with the power to actually do anything about it. And it's you know, it's probably standard, you know, I mean, the first thing they did was send me, after I sent in the first claim for over $5,000, was to send me a $100 travel voucher and say, we're sorry for your inconvenience, please accept this voucher with our apologies. And that's when I forwarded that email to the chief customer officer of the airline and said, if you think this is going to get it done, you got another thing coming. Uh, And I just wouldn't let it go. And eventually, I was, literally, somebody was put on my case, who is only put on cases by reference from the chief customer officer. So it's basically when that person at the top says, fix this, I don't want to hear from this person anymore, then they do. And, uh, you know, like I said, this woman was was lovely. She was the first person that showed any hint of compassion for the ordeal we had been through on this trip. Uh, And it was, um, you know, like I said, amicably was not a word I would have used the first time I came on with you to talk about this, and I, uh, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised with the way that it's all turned out. And now, as somebody who's been a United, uh, you know, an elite status, you know, for all the flying I did when I was on the beat, uh, and for somebody who lives close to one of their hubs, I will no longer, you know, sort of have that like, ugh, I can't believe I have to fly United again. I now have a good feeling about the airline again, and I'm good. excited to continue our relationship.
0: Good. This starts, by the way, and and, and everybody can relate to this. It always starts when you get one live person. One live person gets you to a point where you can get another live person. And also, you know, puts blood in the water when you want it. I mean, it makes you so eager to keep going, right? Didn't you feel you were eager to keep going, that you had a chance on this?
3: Yeah, once I heard from this other, you know, this woman, D. And I knew how to get her on an email and I knew how to get her on the phone versus just calling and getting some other random live person who I would have to start explaining the case to from, from, you know, day one again, that's where it gets frustrating. So when you can speak to the same live person, uh, that's where you start. That's where you start feeling like, okay, this person is the person I'm going to speak to on multiple occasions she has an idea of what I'm talking about. I don't have to re-explain it all. And I have a feeling that, uh, you know, she gave me a good enough feeling that I think this is going to uh, get done.
0: It's lovely. You know, every once the, the last thing you want to hear when you finally get the right person is a sentence that goes like this. By the way, I thought you'd like to know I'm retiring from my job at the end of the day.
3: <laughs> like so, right.
0: you know, so let's get it done now. All right, let me move to baseball. Sad news. Shohei Atani. second Tommy John, I don't know if anybody, I mean, I don't know, Jacob DeGrom isn't back yet. I don't know if anybody comes back from a second Tommy John. This fe- feels to me like the potentially the greatest baseball player in the history of the game is back at a one position circumstance. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, I will say that uh, there are people who have come back from two Tommy Johns. I mean, Jacob DeGrom is still in the process of the rehab. Walker Bueller is getting close to a return after his second Tommy John. Nathan Evaldi has arguably been better since he come back from his second Tommy John than he was before that. Um, So I'm not saying it's uh, the ideal situation for anybody to have to go through this surgery twice, but I don't think it's a killer of your career the way that Um, you know, think about what an ACL injury was in the mid-80s, right? That was if you were a running back, if you were an NBA player, and you had a torn ACL, you were toast. Uh, Now, even a second Tommy John is no longer a death sentence for your career. And let's not forget Shohei Otani. Now, he's a unicorn, and part of what makes him so absurd is the fact that he can be both a Cy Young caliber pitcher and an MVP caliber hitter. But even since this news... Uh, and since he had this unfortunate thing happen, he's still hitting every day, and he's still hitting darn well every day. Uh, and so the idea that, you know, his career is going to be over, I think, is certainly a stretch. He's still the, you know, he's not the best hitter in baseball, which I think he probably is. He's top two or three. Um, I don't know. You know, we won't see him on a mound again, my guess is, until 2025. But I'll tell you this, I-, I wouldn't bet against him.
0: So that leads to this question. He was looking at the greatest contract in the history of sports. There's no question about that. Is he still looking at that contract? Because it is certainly you would concede the possibility that he is a one position player now. That you don't know if he's going to get back to the mound. And even if he does, you don't know how effective he will be. You don't know.
3: This is going to be the great question and the great gamble of the off season of 23, 24 is he's still going to get, a huge contract. I still think he's yeah. going to get $500 million. Um, because if you just look at him simply from a hitting standpoint, uh, he's worth Aaron Judge money, right? I mean, he's this year he is leading the American League in pretty much every category there is. Uh, and having, you know, he's not going to hit 62, but he probably would have hit 50, maybe 55 to 60. Uh, so he's in that same. Uh, walk year production category, and he's a year and a half younger getting to free agency than Judge was. So let's just start with the baseline of let's give him ten years and four hundred million. Judge got nine at three hundred and sixty. He's a year and a half younger. Let's give Otani ten and four hundred just to be a hitter. So right. the question is, was he going to get two hundred million for his pitching? Was he going to get two fifty, three hundred? Even if he only gets one hundred over ten years for his pitching, whatever that equivalent is. You're looking at a $500 million contract. So I think he's still going to get the richest contract in baseball history. I just don't think we're going to have a chance to see how big it could have been had he not suffered this injury.
0: Do you think there are any teams out there that would have bid for him that will now not bid for him because they are afraid that they're not getting what they had hoped to get?
3: I think the one interesting team is the Dodgers only because that's the team that everybody has sort of had yeah. pegged as his eventual landing spot. Uh, you know, when the Dodgers didn't spend a lot of money last offseason, it was, oh, they're squirreling, their nuts for Toritani, and they're yeah. waiting, and they're just going to go and give him whatever he wants. Andrew Friedman, who's a, one of you know the best executives in the game, is not a very risky type of a person. Um, you look at the moves he's made – They've mostly been risk averse when you look at training for rookie bets or training you know, signing Freddie Freeman. Uh, you know, he does not go out there and roll the dice on somebody and say, well, let's see how this works out. Um, he usually tries to have everything lined up. Now, maybe he's just looking at Otani the hitter, and he'll look at Otani and say, Whatever we get from him on the mound is a bonus. I want this guy in my lineup. Uh now the Dodgers probably need his arm more than they need his bat. So I wonder how this is going to impact the Dodgers ability to uh, or desire to go give him a gigantic check. I wonder if this actually helps the angels case uh, of being able to keep him because, you know, Steve Cohen may not go out and give this guy $750 million. The Dodgers may decide, you know what, if we're not going to know what we're getting out of him on the mound, I'm not sure I want to go give him $600 million. The angels, may just say, hey, this is our opportunity and uh, we want to keep this guy in, in uniform and, and you know, keep our franchise player to go along with our other franchise player and hopefully figure out a way to get to the playoffs one of these years.
2: It's
0: very interesting the way you, the way you size that up, um, that it's not necessarily going to hurt Otani in terms of money, because whatever he gets is going to be the greatest amount of money ever, but it might hurt him in terms of mobility going to another team. I mean, do you do you believe that? Do you believe that this helps the Angels somehow?
3: Well, I think it gives them, a, you know, a better chance to keep him than they might have had before. Uh, I'm still not saying I would, you know, make them the favorite to keep him by any means. Right. Right. But I think, you know, look, there's only a certain number of teams that are even in the position to discuss signing Otani, right? I yep. mean, you look at, yep. you know, 25 teams across the league don't have the financial wherewithal to go give a guy uh, a 500 plus million dollar contract. So you're looking at the Dodgers. You're looking at the Yankees, who I don't think are going to be in on him. You're looking at the Mets, maybe the Giants. Um, you know, the Padres can never be counted out because they're just crazy people who will do things that nobody ever predicts. Uh, and then the angels are a team that obviously wants to keep them. They didn't trade him at the deadline, which God, could you imagine if you were one of the contenders trying to, acquire Otani and you traded the farm for this guy and then this happened and he couldn't even pitch in the playoffs. I mean, it's almost a good thing that he wasn't traded because uh, that would be a franchise crushing move yes. for whatever team had done that. But so I think that the, the number of suitors was was limited to begin with. I just think the angels, this, this at least I think if it lowers the price at all from what it could have been to what it ultimately will be, then I think it it helps the Angels cause even even slightly.
0: Yeah, I just I mean I guess we just it's not even a disagreement. i when I heard the news I just thought that's it. Now you you make up the the Avaldi case is different, but I heard the news and I went too bad because he would have been the greatest baseball player of all time, right? If he has a full career as a pitcher and a hitter, there's nobody close, right? Nobody. Yeah.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, what we've seen from him in the past you know three years has yeah, been it's amazing. You know, arguably the you know, the best three-year run overall we've ever seen. Now, he also hasn't, they have not said for sure he's going to have Tommy John. And I know every time you hear UCL tear, the automatic assumption is it's going to be Tommy John. I covered the Yankees in 2014 when Masahiro Tanaka came over here from Japan. And he was having this dazzling rookie year. The area was under two, and he was just incredible. And in June, he suffered a UCL tear. And we said, oh, well, that's the end of him until the end of, you know, 2015. They did rehab. They did uh, conservative treatment. And he never had Tommy John surgery. And he pitched very effectively throughout the next six years. Um, So I think the one thing that none of us know, uh, except for Otani, his agents, and the angels, and and the doctors, is there's a tear in the UCL. Is it a 5% tear? Is it a 50% tear? Is it an eighty percent tear? We don't know that what that is. So until you know he's going for a second opinion um, to have another one of these experts look at it. I mean, usually you hear UCL tear and it does result in Tommy John, yeah. and that may very well be where he goes. But if it's a small enough tear that they think rest and rehab and just shutting him down from pitching this year uh, could could be enough, then who knows? I mean, uh, either way, he's going to be able to hit. You know, early next season, even if he has Tommy John, he's already proven that he did that his first time when he had it, was back in the batter's box in a big league game seven months later. So, uh, like I said, I don't bet against this guy. If he has another Tommy John, then it certainly throws a wrench in the equation in terms of what they can expect from him uh, on the mound going forward. But, um, you know, maybe he becomes a closer. I mean, there are so many possibilities. Uh wow. how you can use this guy, right? I mean, with the d h rule now, who cares you can you can d h him and then just move him to closer and you lose your d h but guess what he's the pitcher, so he can hit anyway. um you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of uh different options that teams will look at, and it's gonna be the the four or five teams that are in the Otani sweep stakes. I think you're gonna hear a lot of very creative things from them.
0: Hey, you're 100% right. It's the biggest story in the offseason. It's the biggest. Mark, thank you, and congratulations on being made whole by United. Thank you.
3: Uh, Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it.
0: Mark Feinstein, boys and girls, we will come back with email and jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser.
1: You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
2: He's got your emails and your notes. He'll read them. it's a mailbag Yeah, it's a mailbag If you drive a car No car. Subaru No Subaru If you try to fax smell no, that won't do If you went to camp He bag. might pick you If you send free stuff You'll Stop. get right through
0: Mailbag That is, of course, Sean doing a riff on... Taxman by the Beatles from 10,000 years ago very lovely Nigel we uh, We got the Bethesda bagels, but they were not the standard Monday bagel sandwiches
2: Yeah, that's disappointing. I had touched base with them yesterday, and I thought that would be all all straightened out So I, mm. I can only anticipate that mm. we'll get the bagel sandwiches on Wednesday is first, it possible first day of school
0: Is it possible that Michael for example? Got the bagel sandwiches, spirited them to his
2: house, and brought over bagels. I know, because I know you eat all day on those sandwiches. Three
0: days. <laughs> three eat days. three days on them. Fantastic. <laughs> right. Yes. All right, that'll just about do it for Oh, you do the ad, though. Do the ad. Oh,
2: well, Bethesda Bagels, we love them. We especially love the bagel love sandwiches when we get them. Just go to com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you will be thrilled.
0: That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, tonight, you're mine completely. You give your love so sweetly. Tonight, the light of love is in your eyes. But will you still love me tomorrow it's one of the greatest lyrics ever written it was originally written for the shirelles it was later done by carol king who is one of the co-authors on the song it's absolutely absolutely brilliant thank you to our guests today steve sands and mark feinsand thank you to our sponsor me remember you can listen to us on apple Podcasts, spotify google play and odyssey if you get the show through apple Podcasts, please leave us a review i've got some emails in front of me now from joseph o'hara uh, currently of Oakland, California, but always, he writes, of Norfolk, Virginia. If the Blue Jays don't make the playoffs, but they have a better record than the winner of the AL Central, shouldn't they be declared the AL Central winner since they are a Midwest city? From Shad, <laughs> about Steven Strasburg. His body failed him, both heroic and tragic, feels Shakespearean. That's interesting, you know, he's retired. And it's a two-paragraph story in every city in the country except Washington, D.C., where it's a two-week story. And justifiably, justifiably, Steven Strasberg is that person that was going to be in the Hall of Fame if his body let him be in the Hall of Fame. It's really that simple. He and was.
2: 2019 October changes the entire narrative. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Yeah.
0: From Lisa G. in New York City, I wanted to let you know my roommate and I watched Jared Fried's special on Netflix and appreciate you guys so much for introducing. Him to us. He had us in the first five minutes with his reference to pulling a sheet over his face after he passed wind to smell it as a date dating profile bio. This is like, you know, I don't know. He's the best. He's blushing again. Thanks, you, thanks for all you do and uh, always featuring the best, most diverse guests. I'm a little old for that. Tom Riley writes, the Montcalm restaurant, remember I mentioned this the other day, the Montcalm restaurant in Lake George, where they serve cottage cheese, has regrettably closed. You only missed it by 10 years. Fortunately, in its place, you can find an assortment of outlets, such as Adidas, Skechers, Zoomies, Loft, Lindt Chocolate, Old Navy, New Balance, and others. Montcalm restaurant to close this year, owner plans to start another restaurant, Glen Falls Business Journal. No information was available regarding your paint studio. Yeah, that's the outdoor thing that I did in Glens Falls. That was the conversation that we had with Buster, right? And then Buster sent us the video of the dog literally jumping into Lake George, which is tremendous. From Kirsten, Here I am in the throes of planning a memorial service for my mom, and all I can think of after hearing you say you are taking antibiotic pills for your leg is... Why isn't Mr. Tony eating fast food to get those really good antibiotics? (laughs) Especially after just seeing Greg Garcia, since he could have hooked you up free with Burger King, Burger King closed. This is what you and your stinking show have done to me. In all seriousness, (laughs) I want to say thanks to you and Nigel, and to so many loyal littles for your support. During my mom's struggles with ALS and since her death, I feel truly lucky to be surrounded by such wonderful people, and all the support has definitely buoyed me during a sad time. By the way, speaking of the Love and Spoonful, did you know their longtime drummer Mike Arturi is the executive director of Universal Music Center, an all-inclusive music school he founded in my little town of Red Wing, Minnesota? We don't just do shoes here. How about that for information for life? I didn't know he was the drummer. The original drummer is Joe Butler from Great Neck, New York, and I didn't know there was another drummer. From Les Carter in Chicago, can you please tell Mike O'Brien from Boston, formerly Revere, but I was the one who said La cheeserie to him at the Mexican restaurant in Chicago. My <laughs> wife and two non masculine children who were with me were just as confused as Mike's friends, but I'm glad they played such a big role in the best day of his life. From Patton Hunnicutt, uh, like the Mike Farrell character on MASH in South Georgia. Oh, Jersey. BJ Hunnicutt. Right. Yeah. I have to thank you for the podcast and the laughs. I've been a longtime fan. While I'm terribly sorry about PTI, I do look forward to your return. I'm an Atlanta native, but I married a girl from South Jersey. I moved up here a few years ago. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage spent her childhood vacationing in Ocean City, New Jersey, America's family resort as they like to call it. And I can tell you that Summer's Point is literally right over the bridge from Ocean City. You can see Atlantic City in the distance, but Ocean City is closer. As for this Gregory guy, he needs to cool it and open up a package store. Ocean City is a dry town and he would make a mint selling booze, but as a sportscaster said when someone ran onto the field and was clotheslined by Scott Case during a Falcons game long ago, the gentleman was taken to Grady Memorial for evaluation. X-rays found nothing between the ears. As an aside, I've written in before about my dad's lovely encounter with Charles Barkley at a diner in Atlanta, and I'm glad that you like Chuck and give him the credit he deserves for being a good guy. I would say best of luck with the leg, but I kind of wanted to see you with an eye patch and a beg leg. From Jason (laughs) Bullock, Chuck and Roxy, episode 31, Saratoga County, New York. While listening to Pat Forty's podcast at work, he and his two co-hosts played a song about the Pac-4. After a few seconds, the person singing sounded hauntingly like Dan Byrne. (laughs) Soon after, the trio derided the song as the worst they'd ever played on the show and the immortal words of Brian Arakpo. Come on, man. What are we even doing out here, man? But I thought to myself, "Gold, Jerry. Eat it, Pat Forty. Now, we gave him permission. Yes. Right? So I'm I'm sort of surprised. That's a brilliant song. Well, because they like college football. Cooper Dunn, Nova Southeastern University. First time, long time. Watching the Titans-Patriots preseason game when a Cigna commercial came on. Found myself feeling bad for the actors who were portrayed as employees employees (laughs) receiving Cigna coverage. Received a strange look from the woman related to me by marriage when I uttered with disgust. Cigna, calculated indifference, gives no aid. Yeah. (laughs) From our friend Joe Rizzo in Oak Hill, Virginia, did I hear this correctly from last Monday's pot? Wilbon ran into Max Homa at a Target parking lot? Does this mean Wilbon shops at the same place as the Littles? Was he lost? <laughs> from Adam Blaney in Athens, Ohio, listening to a pod and heard Nigel wasn't able to go to Bethesda Bagel. Before you finish, tell us why and where you went instead. Emerging from the deep recesses of my demented brain were the words said to no one in particular. Maybe he went to Bagel City, located 12119 Rockville Pike. <laughs> <Give> 301-231-8080. <laughs> yes, this no. actually came out of my mouth from memory. God, I hate this show. From the Reverend Mark Schaefer, I was fascinated to hear your take on how difficult it must be for Norwegians to aspire to play professional golf, given the climate in Norway. You do know that golf was invented in Scotland, right? That's not a country known for its hospitable climate. In fact, the great Scottish comedian Billy Connolly said that whenever someone says to him, I visit Scotland once, it rained," He replies, of course it did. That's what Scotland does. It rains. So (laughs) although we Americans like to think that our version of everything is the original or best version, I imagine there are plenty of people worldwide who are content to play golf in what we consider inclement weather. I'm not one of them. Chan is. Oh, yeah. Chan was Miserable out and memorable. Yeah. I mean, I'd <laughs> rather get eye surgery without anesthetic than play a round of golf. <laughs> but I'm sure that those who truly love the game in other climbs don't mind a little chill now and then. It's been part of the game since it was invented. And from Adam Park. You are just slightly late to the party on the incredible McConnell's ice cream. No offense to the ghost of Skippy McCormick, who doesn't exist, but the folks at McConnell's have been out hitting Dominic Smith for years now. I don't expect you to extend yourself past coffee. I know you're no fan of schmutz in your ice cream, but for the sake of Nigel and Michael and littles everywhere, I wanted to mention that the McConnell's sea salt cookies and cream is easily the greatest pint of ice cream currently widely available in the United States. Not to be confused with the interior, inferior salted chip caramel. I was lucky enough to discover this gem years ago on a trip out west, and while I share your constitutional stand against a $10 pint of ice cream, it turns out to be so devastatingly delicious that the market demanded it extend out here to the DMV. Thanks for all the laughs, and please enjoy. If you're out on your bike time, as always, everyone, do wear white. You so love that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: It's time to punch the clock on Friday Under the work week, come and gone Let's have a celebration shot And then kick the steel toes off Got some brand new snake skins to put on I've got my gear all loaded up A GPA and a guitar case. My friends are waiting at the bar. Got a new song in the repertoire. I go on just after eight, and this crowd is filling up my tip jar. But that money's already spent. That gas light's glowing on my dashboard. I'm a week late on the rain. This honky-tonk headliner lifestyle Ends Monday morning, 6 a.m. I'm only famous on the weekend In between, I'm just another Joe again I got this crowd in the palm of my hand They cheer the start of every song and I've been doing this a while But I still can't help but smile Every time they sing along Gonna take me a real quick, five to ten Need to catch my breath, grab another beer I sit next to a young man at the bar Who was toting his guitar He asked, mister, how does it feel? This crowd is filling up my tip jar But that money's already spent That gaslight's glowing on my dashboard I'm a week late on the rent This honky-tonk headliner lifestyle Ends Monday morning, 6am I'm only famous on the weekend In between I'm just another Joe again to get your shot those words you put down on a page you're gonna wind up on the stage you might make it to the top well it might be too late for me but there ain't nothing I regret even though I'm lugging my own rig and I'm And this crowd's still filling up my tech jar But that money's already spent That gaslight's glowing on my dashboard I'm a week late on the rent This honky-tonk headliner lifestyle Ends Monday morning, 6am I'm only famous on the weekend In between I'm just another Joe again And I'm only famous on the weekend In between I'm just another Joe again be remotely well off, I don't live the life of a king, but I work hard all day, and I spend my pay on a few of life's finer things. Cohiba, and I watched as you drove away Then me and Jim Beam Burned one down to the rain Now I can't remember your name Love can get lazy Life can get crazy The answers don't always come Cigars and whiskey are all that I.